Father, we continue in worship and praise you and do say there's power in the blood. And we pray that the power that comes through Christ's blood would um, be in us now and give us strength and give us encouragement. Thank you for the joy we have in being together in the family of God, uh, worshiping you and learning from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. That was certainly a fun way to start the day, especially with uh, the time change and everything else. That's better than a cup of coffee. We welcome you here. Um, If you're joining us online, thank you. It's so exciting to see the COVID numbers going down, down, down like this. And if, if there's any way possible, we would love to have you back in person. We need you. We are glad that uh, you're staying engaged faithfully with the family, but if uh, you're ready, we're ready to have you back. Thank you so much uh, for worshiping. Today we're looking at Mark chapter 14, and we are following this section of Mark 14 through 16 all the way up to Easter and the resurrection. And so what's going to happen is each section we're sort of looking at individually. We've seen uh, the Lord's Supper. We've seen other portions, and the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And today we're picking up with the scene surrounding Peter's betrayal. Now, what Mark does is a very good storyteller is that he drops little tidbits of this throughout. So it's sort of tantalizing you or uh, whetting your appetite or getting you sort of like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, what's happening with Peter? And today we're going to follow that through. So there's going to be several sections that we'll move through, little things that he's dropped along the way. You'll see those verses up on the screen, but I think if you've been in church before, maybe even if you haven't, you've heard of this guy called Peter. He was a fisherman by trade. He's a very average Joe, and so a lot of people, including myself, really identify with him. We see him and we're like, wow, this is a normal male dude. Like some of the things that came out of his mouth are very similar to some of the things that would probably come out of my mouth. I mean, he learns by trial and error, mostly error. And we look at him and we say, wow, he is so singled out in scripture and in sermons. I wonder if people are just picking on him. Like, Maybe this is a caricature. Maybe this guy doesn't really even look like this. But perhaps this is just like when you go to the theme park and someone says, hey, can I draw your picture? And they accentuate you to such an extent you look like a cartoon. You're recognizable, but you think, no, that's not really me. Perhaps that's what we're doing with Peter. As I looked this week, what I did is I just um, searched on the person of Peter Uh, specifically the word, and looked at every single time that the word Peter occurs. Now, there's pronouns and other things I'd skip, so I didn't do it exhaustively, but I looked at a lot of them. And my conclusion was, you know what? He really is that guy. (laughs) Like, he's actually like that, like, all the time. And in fact, as I studied some of the commentaries, they confirmed that basically no one speaks more in among the disciples than Peter. He is always that guy. He's always speaking up. He's always making the comment. He's always asking the question. He's always saying what nobody else is wanting to say, but everybody is thinking. He's that guy. He's the one who's literally going overboard. Not just once, but twice. 
actually. We think of Jesus walking on the water and Peter jumps out, but it's not just then. It's like after the resurrection, too. He's like, hey, if that's you, tell me to come out. I mean, he's constantly, literally and metaphorically going overboard. He's the guy who is always swinging for the fences. Either he hits a home run with what he says and he's right on, or he completely strikes out. There's no in-between. That's Peter. And Jesus says to this Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, Petra, little rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this average Joe, on this impulsive, impetuous caricature of a man, Jesus lays the foundation of the church. Today we're going to look at one of his lesser moments, actually his least moment, his big failure. And you would think that when Jesus called him Satan, that that might have been his biggest failure. But this is actually even bigger than that. This is when he denies with vehemence and just venom, even knowing his Savior and Lord This is in Mark chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 26. And what's interesting about it, we just watched this video, you know, and I think this is what a lot of us are familiar with. If you're in church, if you're not, you've got cool things to discover. But if you've been in church, you know this Peter guy and you're like, yeah, he really messed up. But Jesus was nice to him later and restored him and helped him feel, you know, better and get back to work. But the reality is, as you look at these scriptures We're just going to go through Mark today, and you know what we find in Mark? No restoration. Like in Mark, there's no record of the restoration. It just goes on to the next scene. Well, what about Matthew? He was a tax collector. Surely he would sympathize. Nope. No restoration in Matthew. What about Luke, the precise doctor? He gets all the details right. Nope. No restoration in Luke. The only place... That Peter's restoration is recorded is in the book of John, in the gospel of John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, nothing. One commentator, I I won't get his quote exactly right, but he said, basically the church can be honest about sin because we truly believe in God's grace. We don't have to hide stuff. We don't have to pretend that we're superheroes or great or we never mess up. The reason we have Peter is because there's hope. (laughs) There's hope for guys like me. And there's hope for people like us. Peter tells me there's hope. If the Lord can save and redeem Peter, then maybe, just maybe, he can save and redeem me. Mark chapter 14, beginning verse 26. It was right after the Lord's Supper, which was the Passover, and Jesus converted into a different meal. He says this, Mark says, when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they're on a road trip, so to speak. They're actually walking or hiking, covering ground. Along the way, as they went, Jesus said to them, to them, here's a plural, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, this is one of the prophecies, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, 
I will go before you. Remember, there's the go before. Jesus is your go before. He will go before you into Galilee. And bold, impetuous Peter, swinging for the fences, says, even though they all fall away, I will not. I have willpower. (laughs) And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, Interesting, we've seen donkeys, we've seen water pots, we've seen all these little coincidences that the Lord has lined up. Now he's lining up a rooster. But this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter again emphatically said, with la passione, Peter says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. (laughs) They all chimed in and said the same. And then they arrived and they went to their place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then in verse 36, remember, this is so important. This is what Jesus prayed. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, not yet not what I will, but what you will. And then in verse 37, Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Peter singled out, why not John? Why not Matthew? Why not Mark? Why not Luke? To Peter, hey, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Here's the secret. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but what we all struggle with, the flesh is weak. And then the next section on Peter is in verse 53. When they captured Jesus, they led him to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And then in verse 66, it says, As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants' girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He went into the gateway and the rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But Peter again denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again began to say to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now what we have in this section are, is a very strong contrast. Many contrasts actually, but the one I'm pulling out is between Peter and Jesus. Earlier, Jesus had said to Peter, you are going to be this rock and on you I will build my church and yet it appears here that that rock Peter is crumbling 
Meanwhile, in the background, there's another trial. There's really two trials. One group is questioning Peter, and another group is questioning Jesus. Peter is denying the truth. Jesus is affirming the truth. Peter is sitting there telling lies and speaking up. And Jesus is being quiet until the final question and just proclaiming God's truth. Complete in other contrast. What's the secret? What's the difference? Why does one rock crumble and the other remain firm? Well, remember what Jesus told Peter right before they went into the garden. This is what's going to keep you solid. This is what's going to keep you grounded. Here's how it's going to go when temptation comes. Listen, Peter, verse 38 of Mark chapter 14. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because your spirit is willing. I can see that in you. You want to. You keep saying all these good things. But just like every other broken, sinful, fallen human being, even though there's this want to, There's the reality of our flesh that's weak and doesn't always follow through. There's the want to and the follow through. And what's the difference? Jesus says it's prayer. Difference between the want to and the follow through here is prayer. Jesus watched and prayed and he passed the test. Peter failed to watch. He failed to pray and he failed the test. Now understand the terminology here. Remember what Peter did. He pulled out his sword and chopped off the ear of the high priest. Because he, like me, thinks that you fight evil with evil. He thinks you fight weapons with weapons. But Jesus tells him here that the real weapon is prayer. The weapon is not the thing he has strapped on his belt that's so shiny and sharp that he thinks is really cool. But the real power is in Christ. And in his father in heaven. And that's where he needs to go. But instead he relies upon the wrong one. And totally fails. The word watch here is a Greek word. Word that actually implies military terms. It's like standing watch. It's like be on guard. It's like look out. The enemy is coming. And so if that is the case. Naturally you expect the next term to be. Okay grab your sword and get ready to fight. Stand there ready. But what it does instead is it says watch. And pray. Watch and pray. Shouldn't it say watch and grab your shotgun or get loaded up or be prepared? Here they come in the front door. Stand guard. No, watch and pray. This is how you fight. This is how you win. This is how you defeat the enemy. Not by your strength, but by his. Even Jesus himself has to do that. He's struggling. He wants the cup to pass. He doesn't want to go through that battle. He admits it openly to his father. But instead he says to his father. Look father. All things are possible for you. Remember we looked at that prayer. Everything father is possible for you. Everything. You can do anything. I can't. I can't make it through this. But you can. Therefore please. Here's my request. Let it go away. But even if you don't. Even if you slay me. Your will, not mine. 
That should be our prayer. That should be how we watch and play. That's, pray. That's how we get ready for the fight. Is we go into it knowing that we don't have the strength, but he does. And certainly we don't want to go through hard times. And certainly we don't want to suffer. But sometimes the Lord allows us to pass through the fire in order to refine us. And here goes Peter. And I think what's happening is that the potter can do to the clay whatever it wants. And if the potter wants to crush it and remake it, then that's totally on him and that's okay. And so Peter here, one one commentator says like this, it's Ronald Kernigan. He says, look, God hardened Peter and then shattered Peter into thousands of pieces so that in the breaking, a new possibility emerged that Peter himself couldn't even imagine. Isn't that what happens with us? Like we think we got it all under control. We've managed our circumstances just right. And none of our little glitches come out. And all of a sudden we're thrown into another situation that brings everything to the surface and everything to the top. And we can't handle it anymore. And all of a sudden we're breaking. And we're being crushed. And we're being destroyed. And we think, Lord, what are you doing? This does not make sense. I don't necessarily even agree with this process. I didn't ask for it. I didn't sign up for it. What are you doing? And yet in that moment, we're saying, hey, 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 doesn't the potter have the right to do what he wants with the clay? And if so, and he crushes it and he remakes it, just imagine how better, how much better on the other side. Here's the thing about grace and God's love. Again, Keenan says the power of God's love is that it comprehends our own vulnerability and rescues us from the peril into which we fall. Issues we didn't even know we had, they're going to come out and the Lord is going to break us and he's going to remake us and it's on him. And then we need to trust him and submit to that process. Here's Peter going through that in the very moment. He's being crushed. The Lord is going to bring him out so much better on the other side. Now remember, Jesus knows this. And Jesus has tried to tell Peter like multiple times. We've seen it three times in Mark. You've seen it five times in Matthew. And I want to show you it once in Luke because it's so cool how it comes back later in Peter's ministry. I forgot to send this one to our communications team to get a slide. But write this down. It's 2232. Luke 2232. 2232. 2232, got it? 2232 of Luke, um, Jesus is is predicting what's going to happen. And he's not doing this just to be like, hey, isn't this cool? I can predict the future. Woohoo! No, no, no. He's telling them this because these are the words that will nourish their souls. When all of this happens, when they could end up totally crushed and broken, They will look back over their shoulders and say, you know what? That's what he said was going to happen. Oh, man, he was right. He was right. I guess I should go with a process, even if it's not the one that I chose. Even if it's not the one that I would design. Let me follow it and see what he has for me. The words that Jesus gave them about their own failures and his crucifixion and suffering were not there to discourage them but again Kernigan in his commentary in the IVP series says Jesus's words were to nourish them 
so that after Judas's betrayal and their own betrayal, it will enable them to come to terms with themselves. How many of you need to come to terms with yourself? How often do I need to come to terms with myself? What are you doing, God? What have you made? Just like Peter, hey, Lord, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, 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 it's not about him. I'm talking to you right now, Peter. You need to come to terms with you. And yeah, you're not him. And there's the five talents and the two talents and the one talents. And maybe we're looking around wishing we were the five and we're two or one. Doesn't matter. We need to focus on coming to terms with ourselves. And that's why Christ gives us these very words to accept who we are, go through the process, be broken, and come out better on the other side. So Jesus tells Peter, Verse 31 of Luke chapter 22 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Can you imagine that? Satan himself specifically asked for this guy's head. I do not want to be that guy. Let's just blend into the crowd a little bit. But Peter's not that guy, is he? He always sticks out. He's always singled out by Jesus, by Satan, by disciples, by everybody. He can't hide. And Satan wants to sift him like wheat and is demanding that of Christ. But Jesus says, verse 32 of 22, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and... When you have turned again to strengthen your brothers. I pray that you won't fail. But I know what's going to happen. And when you do, that you'll turn again and come back and strengthen others as a result. How many great ministries have you seen that have been predicated upon the fact that the founder miserably failed? (laughs) I mean, I think of Dave Ramsey and his stories about his bankruptcy and all this other stuff. And now he's led tons of people to financial peace. And there's so many other examples of people who failed tremendously in something. And that very thing becomes the heartbeat of their ministry. Peter, who is standing with Jesus, denies him. So many of us think, yeah, if we just had Jesus right here, we'd be so much better off. But you know what? Jesus actually says you're better off if I'm not. Can you believe that? Jesus told him, he said, hey, it's better if I go. Because the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. You have more unity and faith and power when you have Christ united to your soul than if you have him walking right next to you. And you watch that happen to Peter as soon as Jesus is gone and Peter gets the spirit. Boy, is he emboldened. And now he's swinging for the fences. And for the most part, he's not messing up. There's this little thing about eating, you know, unclean food and he got over it. But here is Peter, 
the same Peter, the same tendencies, the same person. And at this point, he is finally beginning to come to terms with himself. He knows he's bold. He knows he's outspoken. He knows he's passionate. Might as well be those things about the right thing. Don't try to be something you're not, Peter. You'll never succeed. Just be who you are and try to do a halfway decent job of it. And the key is, watch and pray. And when you get that Holy Spirit, you're going to know how to pray like you have never prayed before. And this is what you see happening in the book of Acts. And here's what's really cool. When you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, and Jesus is not beside you, then all of a sudden you know where Jesus is? You know where he is? He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit is inside you, and the Spirit sends up an SOS, guess where it goes? It goes to Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And then Jesus himself looks over at the Father and says, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, I'm hearing something here. It's from our spirit. We need to listen. I want you to hear this, Lord, because so-and-so says this. And guess who's interceding for you at that point? It's not a priest going before the altar, sprinkling blood on a brazen thing with a lamb. It is the lamb of God himself. And you have that high priest sitting right before the father, praying on your behalf. And if you ever think you need prayed for, there's no one better to do it than him. It's great that you come to Pastor Jeremy. It's great that you come to Pastor Gibb. It's great that you come to the elders. But we're nothing compared to Christ. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. You don't need Mary. You don't need a saint. You don't need anybody else. You need Jesus. What could be better than that? I understand. Look, I'm coming on strong because I feel strong about this. But here's the thing. Jesus is all sufficient. And Jesus is all we need. I understand why you'd want somebody else to pray for you. Sometimes we get to the point where we're like, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I'm so broken. I'm so crushed. I don't even have words. You probably saw that. I messed up. There's no excuse. I don't even deserve to talk at this point. I should just go climb in a hole and put a rock over my head. I imagine that's the way Peter felt. There's really not a lot of ways around this one. I denied him in front of everybody. And I'm going to be a New Testament apostle. And I'm going to walk into the church. And they've probably got Mark's little letter there and they're reading it. And it doesn't say anything about the restoration. <laughs> and I'm supposed to get up and preach to him? Whoa. That's not where I want to be. And yet, we know that Jesus' blood is more costly, his sacrifice more effective, and his resurrection more powerful than all our sin. Because we truly believe in that grace. Because we really believe that God is more powerful than us. Then we can admit even our worst moments. And stand in front of others and say, yep, that was me. 
And I expect you'll probably condemn me and you'll use it against me and you'll twist it and maybe somebody will even comment. Like Peter could be up there preaching and maybe there's some snarky person in the back row sitting there saying, <laughs> he's such a preacher. You know what he did? He betrayed Christ. I would never do that. Listen to this guy. Are you kidding me? You know, when he's a human, surely somebody used it against him, right? Somebody must have brought it up and reminded him of his past at some point. Satan would have surely wanted to do that. Hey, you think you're serving Christ? Don't you remember who you are and what you did? And every single time, Peter's going to have to lean back and lean in and hold on tight to the grace of God and say, no, no, I know what I did, but I know what Jesus did even more. What he did is bigger than what I did. Even though mine was really bad, his is better. His better is bigger than my bad. You can take that to the bank. His better is bigger than my bad. Verse 32 says, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you. Peter, there's nothing better you can get than that, than Jesus interceding on your behalf. And when you turn again to your brothers, when you repent, when you turn around, then you can strengthen them with this fact. And some silly dude 2,000 years later is going to get up and look and say, wow. Maybe the Lord can use me. (laughs) Jesus' words will nourish them even though they fail. Broken and brought to repentance by the grace of God. Peter's a guy just like you and me. Maybe even worse. Not that different. Yet God gives him grace and uses him tremendous ways I hope that as a result of today and looking at this passage that you'll be encouraged to no matter what you've done no matter how bad it is no matter how many times you've done it you too can be redeemed because Jesus's sacrifice is more effective than anything you've ever done it has a greater effect his blood is more costly our sins cost But Jesus' blood costs more. And his resurrection is more powerful. Our sins are powerful. But his resurrection is more powerful than all of our sin combined. That's how big this guy is. Our sins are big. His sacrifice is better. You don't need another high priest. You have a faithful one sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Be like Peter, repent, pray, watch and pray and believe in him. And you know what Peter says to you? Same thing Jesus said. Same exact thing. It sounds so familiar now. Peter says in 5.8 of his epistle, be sober-minded, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter knows exactly what it's like to have been devoured. And many of us do too. Watch and pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our great high priest who intercedes for us 
on our behalf. Lord, there is no better prayer warrior than that. We ask now, Lord, as we sing about him and as we pray to you, that you would cause our needs to be known, our true needs, our greatest needs, not the things we want or ask for that seem so big, but the things that we really need, and that you would make your will be done in us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.